adore you, Jesus. Oh, how we adore you, Lord. How we adore you, Lord. How we adore you, Lord. Oh, 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 how. For the Lord, for the Lord, He is good, and His love endures forever. For the Lord, He is good, and His love endures forever. For the Lord, He is good, and His love endures forever. For the Lord, He is good. His love endures forever for the Lord. He is good, and His love endures forever. Children, lift up a shout, lift up a shout, yeah. For the Lord, He is good, and His love endures forever. Children, lift up a shout. Give him a hand. Come on. Give him a hand. Yes. Oh, our God is good. He's a good, good God. Yeah. Oh, he's a good, good God to me. Yeah. For the Lord. Come on, sing it with all your heart. For the Lord, he is good. His love endures forever. For the Lord, He is good. His love endures forever. For the Lord, He is good. His love endures forever. For the Lord, He is good. For His love endures forever. Lift up a shout, lift up a shout to His name. For the Lord, He 
adore Him. Every life, every heart adore Him. Every heart adore Him. Every heart adore Him. We adore You. Throw yourself on him right now. Just throw yourself on Jesus. Trust in him. Trust in him to lift you up. Oh, if you're not being lifted up, throw your burden on God. Throw your burden on him. Throw your burden on Jesus. Lift yourself to him for a moment. Keep playing those keys for a minute, Helen. Oh, God, how we need you. Just declare your love for him. Just declare your love for him. How his hand has held you up. You could have failed, but his hand held you up. Some of you are in the miry clay. All you need to do is lift up your hand. Pick up that shield of faith and look to him right now. And he will lift you up. All of our hope is in Him. All of our life is hidden in Him. We need Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, yeah, we need you, Lord.
guys, I'm a little bit of a mess. That's probably a good thing. Thank you, Jesus. Well, first of all, I love you guys. And I've missed you guys. And uh, I want to tell you, this place is extremely near and dear to my heart. Um, some of you know this, but Jenny and I got married in that field right outside the church before this building even existed in 2004. And we had our wedding uh, reception in the Welcome Center. That's where we cut our cake and did our first dance and all that. So, I mean, this place is, is very uh, near and dear to my heart. And so uh, we've served here for seven years, believe it or not. It's five different locations. Uh, but it's it's been a wild ride. But uh man, it's gonna take me a minute here just to are you guys in a hurry or can I just can I just be real this morning? <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. I just wanna honor you guys and I wanna honor the church and I wanna honor Shirley and, and David. Obviously David's out of the country, but he'll probably go back and see this. Thank you guys for allowing me and Jenny to do what we've done here and I hope that we have done something positive for the kingdom. And uh, anyway, man, I didn't know I was going to be this messed up this morning. <laughs> but thank you, Jesus. Um, I want to tell you guys a little bit. Uh, I had a prophetic dream, which I don't have many of them. That's not usually my flow. But I had a prophetic dream while I was in Texas a couple weeks ago uh, with my buddy Jeremiah. Jeremiah Johnson is a dreamer, so maybe I just caught it from hanging out with him that weekend, but I did have a dream that I felt was prophetic. And uh, in this dream, it's funny, it was Donald Trump doing a big rally, like thousands of people, and he's up there talking, and he goes, he stops in the middle, and he goes, hey, whatever happened to Chris and Jenny at the gathering? He said, somebody go find out, and then he just kept going with his, he kept going with his thing. And so I, I knew that uh, obviously, you know, I need to bring some clarity, which I'm more than happy to do. Uh, Jenny and I have been in a massive, massive transition. I hate using that word because it's such a churchy word, but I don't know how else to describe it. Transition is where you're leaving one thing and entering another, but it's that messy place in the middle. You guys ever felt that? If you haven't, you will, and it happens multiple times in your life, but it's not fun. <laughs> and uh, I will dare say that 2016 might have been my least favorite year ever, just being honest. Um, but there's a lot of good fruit coming from it. And so I just want to share something briefly with you before I get started. Okay, I've got my computer set up. You guys know I use the computer. It's kind of easier to, to follow along. But um, the Lord gave me a prophetic word in the beginning of 2016. Let me see if I can get this thing to work. It's been sitting here idle for too long. Let's see if I can get it to work. Maybe, maybe not. Okay, so uh, Facebook does this funny thing where it'll pop up something that you said a year ago, and you're like, I don't even remember saying that. <laughs> but uh, just a few days ago, maybe last week, one of those things popped up from a year ago, and it said, 2016 prophetic word by Chris Taylor. I was like, oh Lord, what did I prophesy in 2016? Let's go see if I'm a false prophet. And so... Here's what the Lord showed me. He said 2016 was going to be the year of the roller coaster. And boy, was it ever. 
So I wanted to put this picture up here because the Lord showed me a vision of this roller coaster going up the hill. Click, 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 click. You ever done that? That's the scariest part, the anticipation. And here's what the Lord spoke to me at the beginning of 2016. And I knew it was for me personally, but I also knew it was for more people than me. He said there are going to be many unexpected dips and turns this year. There are going to be things that are going to take your breath away. But I want you to know that you're on track. And so that really explains my 2016. It was a roller coaster, but we were never off track, even though we got slammed around a whole bunch. It took my breath away for sure, and uh, it was a true word. But I do want to briefly share something with you because I received something for 2017 that I like a lot better. And I'm only going to spend maybe five minutes on this, but I'm just going to encourage myself and the Lord here for a second. The Lord did speak to me at the beginning of this year. I was seeking him about, Lord, please, let's not do another 2016. And uh, I said, just please just tell me, you know, what is, what is your plan here? And I'm going to show you three things that he told me. Now, this was to me, but I also do believe that a lot of this is, is going to speak to you as well. Let me ask you this first before we start. Did anybody else have a rough 2016? Okay. Because I'll be honest with you, some of my closest friends all had some of the worst years of their life. And we were like comparing notes. We we're like, what's going on? Uh, but the Lord is faithful. And like the roller coaster, we were on track. But here's what he showed me briefly for 2017. He said it's going to be a year of restoration, new wineskins, and great advancement. That sounds a lot better than the roller coaster to me. I'm just going to briefly talk about this. Restoration, obviously, is God's specialty. And the glory of something restored is actually greater than the original. Okay, so there's these processes that God puts us through. It's called being refined in the fire. Anybody ever been burned up? Okay, so God's not being mean. He's just refining our character. And he is taking us to a higher place in him. But here's what always happens. If you survive the fire, then you get to move into a season of restoration. You look at Job, he lost everything basically, and then the Lord in the end restored double what he ever had before. So the fire is necessary, but thank God it's followed by a season of restoration. And so I know many of you guys are entering into that as well. I know that Jenny and I are definitely moving deep into that. The next thing that he showed me was new wineskins. It's Mark 2.22. Jesus said, if you take new wine and pour it into an old wineskin, you'll essentially lose both. The old wineskin will burst. You'll lose the wine. Basically, it's a total loss. And so what the Lord has been speaking to me about this year is that we will not be able to do new things old ways. And he has really convicted my heart about this, and I am a blank slate right now. I'm like, Lord, whatever. I will do it your way. I do not have to do it the way it's always been done. New wineskins is something you're going to see. I hope that bears witness with your spirit. And thirdly, he said it's going to be a year of great advancement. You know, you have these seasons where you feel like it's one step forward, two steps back. You feel like you're barely gaining ground. You feel like you may be losing ground. But then there's these other seasons where it's almost like the Lord just blows wind in your sails and you just advance and even rapidly. And I believe that that's a word for many of us this year. Uh, and even in our nation, there is such a radical shift and an advancement that is happening right now. I don't even have to get into that. You guys are smart enough to figure it all out. 
there is a great advance that's happening all across the board right now. So thank you, Jesus. I'm a lot happier about this than the roller coaster. So uh, I hope that ministered to you guys, but that's not my message. Before I get into my message real quick, I want to show you a picture. Let me see if this pops up here. Okay, cool. Um, does anybody know what that is? It may be hard to see in the picture. That is a big cave uh, in Israel. One of my highlights for 2016, I did get to go to Israel. That was the highlight of the year. Uh, I went to Israel last May uh, with Jeremiah Johnson, one of my buddies. And uh, we were there for 10 days, and it was absolutely life-changing. Uh, but what this is, this is called Caesarea Philippi. And that big cave right there was the biggest pagan ritualistic sacrifice site on planet Earth. It was the most wicked, vile place that you could find. It's in northern Israel. It's the very, very, very top. And it's like a big, huge cliff with a cave hewn out of the rock. And some of the worst things that have ever happened, happened here. I mean, I'm talking child sacrifices, all kinds of just horrible stuff. But this was the epicenter of the pagan god Pan, which is Pan means all. It's, it was like their big overarching pagan god. So here's the amazing part about this, and this is why I wanted to show you this picture. That's me hanging over the guardrail on the end, the little guy that's closest to the, to the cave there. But um, I want to talk about the church this morning. I want you guys to know that I love the local church. I've been in church my entire life. I was almost born in church, literally. I was almost born in a gospel singing. Uh, my mom, doctor said, don't travel. She, she did it anyway, and she almost had me in the middle of a gospel singing. Uh, but I've been in church my entire life. But I want to read you this. I'm going kind of slow. Are you guys good? Is everybody stretch? Everybody feeling good about life? All right. So here we go. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. This is the first mention ever that Jesus used the word church. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is the picture I just showed you, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? One of the most important questions you can ever be asked. Simon Peter, the redneck in the bunch, he always jumped out there and said something first. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You realize that Jesus had not pronounced himself yet as the Messiah. They were kind of wondering. So Peter's the first guy to actually declare it. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock... What's the rock? The revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Upon the rock of the revelation you just had, I will build my church... And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Here's what you got to understand. Jesus took the boys right to the gate of hell to start the church. He went to the most wicked place he could find on planet earth and said, I am going to build my church on the revelation that I am the Messiah. Come on, man. Somebody needs to get excited about that. So what is he saying? He's basically saying there is absolutely nothing that's going to stop us. It was like it was a message straight to the enemy. I'm going to go right to your house and start the church. <laughs> Jesus had a little attitude like that. I, I love it. So let's just briefly go through this. First of all, if we're going to talk about what the church is, let's talk about what the church is not. 
It's not a building. Now I'm going to tell you this. I love buildings because I've actually done like the sawdust tent revival stuff. My granny was a tent preacher. I've been out in South Carolina, 100 degree heat in the tent. Buildings are awesome. <laughs> but the church is not a building. It's a great place. Thank you for the padded chairs and the air condition. Thank you, Jesus. But the church is not a building. The church is not a business. Obviously, we have to you know, deal with money and do certain things and pay bills, but the church is fundamentally not a business. This might be the most important one. The church is never a believer by themselves. The word church screams community. Uh, and I understand that some people are more spiritual than Jesus and they just go off completely by themselves for years and they have no relationships and no communication with anybody. That's not the church. In fact, that's extremely dangerous. So I just had to put that out there. So let's talk about what the church is. I know I'm going a little bit slow here, but I want this to sink in. Let me do this too. Uh, Father, just give us ears this morning to hear and give us hearts to understand. God, you said so many times, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And I pray, God, against all distractions, against any kind of misunderstandings, miscommunications. I pray you'd put a guard over my mouth that I would speak with clarity and no confusion whatsoever. I pray, God, that you would just plant your word in our hearts and that it would bear much fruit, Father, in Jesus' name. I think that's important because the birds of the air come to try to steal the word, you know. That's what Jesus said. So what is the church then? Let's see if this computer will catch up with me. Three definitions of the church. And this is such good stuff. You could do three weeks of Sundays just on each one of these, but I'm going to briefly go over it. Number one, ecclesia, which means call out. Number two, koinonia, fellowship. Number three, soma, which is the body of Christ. Now, I'm going to go through these briefly because there's so much revelation in this. Ecclesia is basically the first word to describe the church, and it means the called out ones. If you're a part of the church, that means that God literally grabbed you out of the crowd, pulled you out of darkness into the light. That's what makes you in the church. How many of you guys got yanked out of darkness into the light? That means you're in the church. Hallelujah. So I'm going to read a couple of scriptures about this. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Man, that's awesome. That's the calling out. John 1.10. He came into the very world he created, speaking of Jesus, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, born again is what Jesus said, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Man, how many of you guys have experienced that? And if you haven't, don't leave here today without. There are only two people groups on the planet. Those who have been born again by the Spirit and those who haven't. We get into all this racism and all this division and all this crazy, silly stuff. Really, guys, there's only two people on the planet. Those that have been born again by the Spirit of God and those that have not. That's really it. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no male. There's no female. There's no this, that, or the, there's no rich or poor. There's no race. There's born again and not yet born again. So Romans 8, 15 through 16. I want to read this really quick. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's own spirit when he adopted you as his own children. 
Now we call him Abba, Father. For the Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Man, that's good stuff. According to Jesus, you can only belong to one of two fathers, God or Satan. Now, I know that there's a lot of teaching out there, oh, we're all children of God and, you know, Oprah Winfrey and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus looked at some very upstanding religious dudes and said, your daddy's the devil. The son of God told some guys that. So you only have one of two fathers. You're either Abba, Daddy, Father, God. Thank you, Jesus. I've been adopted. I've been brought into the family. I've been called out, and now I'm in the church. Or you are not yet in the family. So the goal, obviously, is to raid hell and populate heaven, right? So that's, that's part of our mission. So that's part of being called out. Now, this next part, to me, is probably the punchline. Koinonia, fellowship. Uh, earlier this year, the Lord really took me on a journey about this, and I studied this like I'd never studied it before by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I found out some things that I just quite honestly had missed all of my Christian walk. This is the revelation that I got. The truest definition of the Greek word koinonia is communication. you got to let this sink in. Jesus called his church communication. Think about it. I'm going to read the scripture where this comes from. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. This is John. He walked with Jesus. We saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. First-hand account. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and now we have seen him. Now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then was revealed to us. This is John talking about Jesus. Now listen to this. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship, koinonia, communication with us. And our fellowship, our koinonia, our communication is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is 100% relational. 100%. That is what God cares about more than any other thing. Ecclesia means we're all in the same family. Koinonia means we actually love each other. I might say that again. Ecclesia means we're all in the same family. We all got called out of the same mess and into the same body. But koinonia means we actually get along with each other. What do you think? It is much easier to have ecclesia than to have koinonia. How many would you agree with that? It is always easier to gather than to get along. And I'm not picking at you. I'm, I preach to myself first, and then I preach to you. You get the overflow of what God tells me. So family is messy, but it's worth it. So how many of you guys have a family? How many of you guys married? You guys get along all the time, 100%? Come on. Where are those guilty laughs? Family is messy. But it's worth it. Thank God when I'm acting like a dumb person, my wife doesn't throw me away. Thank God when my three-year-old is acting like a three-year-old, I don't throw him away. It's family. You guys are getting the point here. It's messy, but man, this is what Jesus died for. So I'm going to keep moving because I'm going to circle this around at the end. The third definition of the church is soma, or the body of Christ. 
We are literally the hands and the feet and the body of Jesus on planet earth. Obviously, he is the head. He's the one in charge. But we are physically, literally, his body in the earth. I'm going to read this. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Another one, Colossians 1.18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Now here's something interesting about the body. The human body has many parts. The many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. You remember the soap lever 2000? 2,000 body parts. Do you guys remember that? Okay, the body has many, 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 many parts. And we're not all supposed to look like each other. That's what makes the body the body. It's what makes everything unique. And I do have to throw this out here. If there's somebody in the body that you just really don't like and have a really hard time getting along with, in the body, somebody has to be the butt. (laughs) Just remember, you need every part of the body. That person is probably there for your character development. Well, I heard an organ off in the distance. So all the parts of the body are important, even the parts we don't like. So 1 Corinthians 12, going further, he said, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have gifts of leadership, those who speak in unknown tongues. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way that is best of all. And then that leads right into 1 Corinthians 13, which is probably one of the best chapters in the entire Bible. It's the love chapter. You guys have all read it. Or if you've been to a wedding at least once in your life, you've heard it. But here's the thing. The body is diversified and unique. I'm not supposed to be like you. You're not supposed to be like me. We're all varied in our giftings. We're all varied in our grace that God has put upon us. And we're not supposed to be jealous or, or envious or, or, or at angst with one another. We're supposed to celebrate all of the wonderful gifts that God has given us. Can I get an amen on that, somebody? The body, when it functions together, is amazing. Your physical body, when it's all doing what it's supposed to do, it's miraculous. It's amazing. And it's so in the church. So I am moving right along here. We're not going to even be here that long, you guys. This is a little different for me, too. I'm going to give you this because I just have been getting revelation like crazy about the five-fold ministry. I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to be real with you. I have a lifelong dream, and I think it's a dream that's originated in the heart of God. I just want to see the five-fold ministry legitimately, truly functioning in a real place on planet Earth that I can see, physically touch, be a part of. I have to have the fivefold ministry. And I'm going to tell you something. The fivefold ministry is still very much alive and well today. It's not the threefold or the fourfold or the onefold. It still is the fivefold ministry. 
So I want to just get into some of this because, I mean, man, I've been getting so much revelation on this lately, and, and I just have to share some of it. Ephesians 4, which you've been around Morningstar for any length of time, uh, back on Presley Road, they used to have a big poster off the backstage that said, Equipping the Saints, right out of here. This is part of the DNA of, of, of Morningstar. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So here's the question. Do you think that the body of Christ has come to that place yet? Have we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we're completely mature, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ? If that has not yet been accomplished, then the fivefold ministry still exists on planet Earth today because he says this will continue until. I know most of us are going to say, yeah, amen, we know this. But some people don't believe that these five ministries are still in operation today. It's craziness. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. The apostles and the prophets actually laid foundational teaching. That's part of their job. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Who does? Jesus does. And each person does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That is the dream of my heart. I will devote my entire life to seeing this happen. This is God's dream. Now I'm going to show you something that I've never seen before that blew my mind. And I just have to show it to you. The number of times each five-fold ministry gift is mentioned in the New Testament. Have you ever studied this out? In Ephesians 4, you see all five of them listed right there. But, of course, those ministries are talked about throughout the entire New Testament. So I'm just going to give you the numbers. It's so interesting. Apostles are mentioned 75 times in the New Testament. Prophets are mentioned 19 times in the New Testament. Evangelists are mentioned specifically three times. Teachers are mentioned nine times. And pastors are mentioned one time, and it was in that Ephesians 4.11 that we just read. So look at this. I just want us to get back to thinking New Testament here. Apostles are mentioned 75 times. Prophets are mentioned 19 times. Evangelists are mentioned three times. Teachers are mentioned nine times. And pastors mentioned one time in the entire Bible. Something else that's interesting. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers were actually specifically named. Like Philip the evangelist, the apostle Paul. The prophet, they named the people. Pastor was the only office in the New Testament that they never even actually named a guy. They never said, here's Bob the pastor. Never happened. I'll tell you something else that's mind-bending. Never one time do you see a pastor leading a church in the New Testament. Crickets. I mean, I know it's mind-blowing. But here's, here's where we're going to go with this. The entire five-fold ministry is mentioned a total of 107 times. 
I'm going somewhere with this. Just hang with me. But this might be a little tedious for a second, but just hang with me. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors are mentioned a total of 107 times in the New Testament. Let me show you something that should blow your mind. How many times do you think the word brother is mentioned in the New Testament, as in spiritual brothers? 244 times. Let's keep going. How many times in the word is children mentioned in the New Testament? You remember Paul would say, you are my children in the Lord, as in spiritual children. 36 times. How many times in the word is son mentioned, as in spiritual sons? 23 times. Check this out. The total mentions of sons, children, and brothers, or basically family, is 303 times. So family is mentioned exactly three times more than the fivefold ministry. Our relationship with one another as children of God is more important to God than all of our ministry functions. That's the mic drop. That's the entire point of everything I'm going to say this morning. Now, I've been in the church my whole life. I've done it all. But the Lord is rehoning and reshaping my focus. He's making me understand some things that I've missed. When you go get in a cave for a while, you can see some things that you might not have seen. When the Lord sidelines you for a while and just gets you alone with him, you start seeing some things. It's okay if it's quiet in here. I know this is interesting stuff. Our relationship with one another as children of God is more important to God than all of the fivefold ministry. Even if we got that perfect. Even if we had it functioning awesome. It's still secondary to our relationship as brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. We're almost done, believe it or not. Unity in the church. I saw something this week about this that just, it literally it just rocked my world. I want to share this with you. And I'm, I'm literally, it's 1141 and I'm almost done. Short and sweet this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians 4, right before he got into the fivefold ministry, here's how he starts Ephesians 4. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all, in all, and living through all. Now, I told you that Jesus mentioned the church only two times in his entire public ministry that we have on record. The first was at Caesarea Philippi, where he told the boys, I'm going to start the church right here in front of the gates of hell. Here's the second time that Jesus said the word church in red letters. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I may say that again. Moreover, this is Jesus talking, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Then, if that still doesn't work, and he refuses to hear, then you take it to the church. Only other time Jesus said the word church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So I find it intriguing that the only second mention ever of the word church 
in Jesus' vocabulary had to do with conflict resolution between brothers. So I guess he must have thought we were going to have some trouble. I mean, he was a prophet. I'm being funny, but seriously, Jesus said, go to your brother. What if we actually lived by that code? How much conflict do you think we would avoid in the church? I'm just being real right now. If we really took Jesus at his word and Heath, you offended me. I'm going to go right to you and me and you like two grown men are going to work this out. What if we actually did that? It's getting quiet in here. But this is the heart of God. Why? Because more than anything, he wants family. More than anything. I have two boys. I love it when they get along. They fight most of the time, but I love it when they get along. It does a father's heart good to see his children getting along. And there's biblical precedent for that. Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. This is the revelation that I got this week that I never saw before. Where it says, behold how good and pleasant it is. That is the exact same word that Moses, when he was in the cleft of the rock, and God said, all of my goodness is going to pass before you. The very glory of God is going to be shown to you, Moses. It's the same word right here in Psalm 133. When, when God said, Moses, all of my goodness is going to pass before you. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. So at the same level of Moses seeing the glory of God on the mountain, that's the same level of glory that happens in a community when brothers get together in unity. Are you seeing that? It's the glory of God. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. Aaron was the high priest. Who is our high priest? Jesus is the high priest. When we get together in unity, it's like pouring the anointing oil on the head of Jesus. And what are we? The body. The anointing goes all the way down through the body, all the way head to toe. Man, there's so much glory on this. I hope you can feel it. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, even life forever. When God's family gets along, like legitimately, not lip service, not like tolerating each other, but when we really actually love each other, when we really actually find koinonia, God commands a blessing. Automatic. You can't even run from it. My goodness. Lord, help you. Help me. Jesus. Conclusion. Simply put, the church is family. I am all about the gifts of the Spirit. I am all about the power. I love to preach. I love to play drums and do other things. I love all of it, but man, I'm telling you what. God is most interested in family. God is most interested in us being real brothers and sisters. We all have the same father. This is obvious. We all have the same elder brother, Jesus. We are quite literally brothers and sisters who are called to walk together in love and unity. This is the church. And I will give my life to seeing this reality. And this message convicts me. I hope it convicts you. Um, like I said, the preacher hears the word first. 
And then we just share what the Lord's dealing with us on. But I'm telling you what, we can get a lot of things right, but we got to get this part right. We got to love one another deeply, truly. And going back to one last thing about Koinonia, we've got to communicate. Lack of communication is the root of almost every problem in your life. (laughs) I'm serious. If we're not communicating, then I have to assume what I think you mean. <laughs> I'm just going to get off script for a minute. If, if me and Shalom are not communicating, then I really don't know the intent of his heart. I might see him do something wild and crazy, and then my tendency is I'm just going to judge you. Because I haven't communicated enough with you to actually know your heart on the deal. So how deeply do we know one another? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a challenge. And I said this years ago, too, when we were back over at the Jubilee. I have a challenge for myself and for all of us. Find somebody you don't like and take them out to eat. <laughs> now, don't tell them you don't like them. <laughs> just, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I might have just messed all that up for you. But go out and fellowship with somebody. <laughs> I don't know if we can redeem that one now, but... Go get to know somebody. Absolutely. Get out of your comfort zone. I promise you, people are not as scary as you think they are. If you really get to know people, they're not as scary as you might think they are. They might look like a lion, and then when you go talk to them, they're a lamb. You just don't know. You got to go find out. So anyway, I just want you guys to know. I love you guys. I love this place. And um, this is very special to me. I just, I, I wanted to give you this part of what the Lord's been putting in my heart. And uh, I hope it's well received. I believe it is because it is the Bible. So you can't really get away from it. But um, I just, I just want to pray uh, for all of us. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is a sword. Your word cuts between soul and spirit. Your word pierces into our very hearts, God. Your word challenges us. Your word changes us. Your word gives us what we need to continue to grow and to mature in you. And Father, we just appreciate, God, your word, and we appreciate, God, your Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. And Father, I pray that this morning, God, that that this would not just be, oh yeah, that was a cool sermon, but that, God, we would somehow put this into practice, that we would somehow make the scary steps to make this a reality. If we need to rethink and readjust and and recalibrate and rethink everything we've ever done, then so be it, Lord. If we need to go back to the drawing board, so be it, Lord. We're a blank slate, Jesus. We just want to do what you're doing in the earth. We just want to follow you, God. And we want more than anything to represent your heart accurately, God, in this world. And I know that fundamentally you are Father God. And you are all about your children and your children truly getting along and loving one another. So, Father, help us. That is a big task, and we're going to need a lot of grace and a lot of help. But, Father, we at least are willing. We at least say, yes, Lord. We want to give it a go. We want to give it a try. We want to know our brothers. We want to know our sisters. We want to put away our judgments. We want to put away our criticisms. We want to put away the pointing of the finger, God, and we want to truly get to know one another. And we want to experience that glory, God, that even Moses saw, that glory when brothers dwell together in unity and love.
Father, may it be, God. May it be in Jesus' name. We love you, God. We bless you. We praise your name. It's all about you, God. It is not about us. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. Amen. That's all I got, guys. It's not even 12 o'clock yet.